catch some of them that way. We are actually live now, so it's good to see everybody. We're in uh, Exodus chapter 17 is where we're going to pick up. Last night we finished the book of Revelation, so I'm praying about what we're going to start on Wednesday. We'll try to get that out to you on the website or our uh, texting machine um, before next Wednesday. If the Lord don't show up, right? Yeah, that would be nice, wouldn't it? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We read that like three times last night, I think, in the final chapter. Sounds like some of you are ready to get out of here. (laughs) Um, Exodus chapter 17 is where we're going to pick back up. Now let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this time we have together. We thank you for your word. Thank you for all those that are with us here in the building and those who join us with our feed and those who will get this podcast. We pray, Lord, that it will minister to each one of them and all of us. Thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice. May we not take that for granted. May we remember as we talked about last night that we're just pilgrims and strangers here help us all to take that posture that we realize we're just pilgrims and strangers passing through this world is not our home help us to keep that in front of us and keep that posture in our own lives in Jesus name amen life's a vapor isn't it wake up one morning you're 16, wake up another morning, you're 56, (laughs) wake up another morning, (laughs) yeah, wake up another morning and you're not awake, right, you didn't wake up, (laughs) well, the Lord's coming soon, so we may all get to meet him in the air, Uh, we'll see how that works out, Uh, Exodus chapter 17, so Israel's moving on, but Every time God does something great, they get a a setback. It kind of sounds like us, right? God will do something great in our lives. Then the next little thing that comes up, we about fall all to pieces. Now, we should grow. We don't want to continually live that way, but that's the nature of the flesh, and we have to guard against that. Chapter 17, verse 1. Then all the congregation of children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin, according to the commandment of the Lord, encamped in Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Uh Uh-oh, Moses is getting ready to get in trouble. (laughs) Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it that you have brought us? Up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst. Now, when you read that, you know, this has happened before, right? Last week we saw where they were mad at Moses. Moses said, well, this wasn't my idea. This was God's idea to get you all out here, you know. Uh, So it's kind of... uh, A little bit comical when we're reading it after the fact. But if we're not careful, we can all be like this, right? God will do something great. 
He just fed them with quail and brought manna out of the sky. He's doing supernatural things, and he just parted the Red Sea. Oh, by the way, he just parted the Red Sea. Done all these great things, and now they're ready to fold up. And we have to guard against that. But now, the flesh responds that way a lot of times, right? I mean, it's, uh, the flesh does not like being inconvenienced or suffering. But suffering's good for us. It, it does work on our behalf. But if you'll notice, um, if you take all the stuff home, go to the grocery store, pick it out, go through the line, pay for it, drive from home to do that, drive back to home, get all the utensils out, start cooking. At some point, if you add up all the time between what you did in the store, driving to and fro, getting everything together, cooking it, and then cleaning afterward, and then some people will get madder than, as we say where I'm from, madder than wet hornets. If they have to sit in a, a drive through for an extra minute and a half. <laughs> That's the nature of the flesh though, right? What's wrong with this microwave? And so we're not a very... Patience is something that we uh, need to allow God to do in us as we walk through this journey. Um, but they thirsted for water. And if you'll notice, the flesh can go out of bounds and get you in trouble. Remember what Esau did? He come in and he said, he'd been out hunting all day, and he said, I need something to eat. And Jacob said, you know, trade me your birthright. And he said, that don't matter because I'm about to die. He wasn't about to die. You can go 40 days without food at least. He wasn't about, but have you heard those kind of language come out of your mouth? Give me something to eat, I'm about to starve to death. You're not about to starve to death. But that's the nature of the flesh, right? We've probably used that kind of language. We think back, give me some water, I'm about to die of thirst. No, you're not. No, you're not. But that's the nature. And what did Esau do? He, he did it, right? He did something horrible he, he placed no value on spiritual things. That's what Paul talks about in Hebrews. He didn't place any value on spiritual things, and he traded his birthright for a bowl of soup beans. Pinto, well, I put that in my own language, bowl of lentils. Might as well have been pintos. That's what I would have traded it for. Uh, but he, he didn't place any value on spiritual things. The Bible says in Hebrews he despised spiritual things. doesn't mean he... He didn't hate them. That's not what. That's probably a poor choice of English words there. But it meant that it, they, he placed no value on them. It wasn't important enough to him. And that's why, you know, we pointed out last night, Abraham pitched his tent and built his altars. I'm afraid too many folks in this life are building their tents and pitching their altars. They're putting more emphasis on this life than their spiritual journey. And that's what Esau did. And, and so we need to guard against that, that we keep everything in priority that God, what Matthew, uh, Matthew 6, 33, seek you first the kingdom and these others. So the kingdom, seeking God, his kingdom has to be first in our lives. So they're thirsty. They're mad at Moses again, and blaming him for bringing them out basically to, to let them die. So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, what shall I do with his people? They are almost ready to stone me. 
And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and take you some of the elders of Israel. Also take, your hand, uh, take in your hand the rod, your rod which you struck the river, and go, behold, I will stand before you there in the rock of Horeb. Uh, and you shall strike the rock, and the water will come out of it, and the people may drink. So there's some interesting uh, names being used here. Horeb is where uh, Moses had seen the burning bush, and Elijah had this encounter with the Lord where the Lord appeared to Elijah, uh, where Moses got the law. All this area. So the water is going to come out from a rock there at Horeb. But he also says some, used some other names here, and Moses uh, did all this. He did so on the side of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of the place Mesah uh, or Mar, uh, Meribah. And because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Now what, what a horrible position to take. Uh, Meribah means quarreling. Uh, Mesa means testing. So they're at a place where they're quarreling, they're fussing, they're, and this was what they, here's what was going on among them. Is the Lord among us or not? And what a horrible place to be once you've just saw God part the Red Sea, you've seen all the things he's done from the quail and the man and all that, and now we're in a spot where we're saying, is God helping us or with us or not? That's where they were at. Now Amalek came out and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. And I usually say this, but if, if you want to know how long-suffering God is, then just go home and look in the mirror. That's all we need to do. When you read about this, how many of us would be this long-suffering? He just done everything for Israel. He brought them out. If you read that psalm, the Bible says when they came out of Egypt, they came out with silver, gold, jewels. And here's what the Bible says. There wasn't a feeble one among them. You're talking about anywhere from a million and a half to three million people. Not anybody sick. Everybody with their pockets full of gold and silver. That's how God brought them out. And then to prove his power to them, he shortly thereafter parts the Red Sea and drowns their enemy in the sea behind them. And then they're mad because they're about to die because they didn't have water when they wanted it. But if you think about it, sometimes we do God that way, right? We can find ourselves in that position, questioning God's love, questioning his uh, nature. We don't want to get into that. We want to be careful and stay away from that. Now, I, I try to remind people, God's not afraid of our questions. If you're seeking answers, that's okay. He said, knock and you'll, it'll be open, seek and you'll find. God's not afraid of us to ask Him questions. As long as we're looking for answers and the right information, He may not answer us. Or He may answer us in a way that don't give us the full story. But he's not afraid for us to ask him things. What we have to stay away from is asking God things as, a, as if a way to indict him. Like saying things to God as if he don't know what he's doing. That's what we got to steer clear from. We don't want to indict God. 
He knows, he knows way more than we'll ever know. And I say this sometimes, you know, we pray and believe God for certain things, and sometimes He does them differently, or sometimes He doesn't answer them the way we've asked. Has anybody ever had that? We've all had that, right? So here's what happens. When you and I are believing for something, and God is sovereign, right? So sometimes our faith and His sovereignty collide. And when that happens, His sovereignty is going to win. So you may be praying for somebody to get healed, and God may say, I'm ready to bring them home. Right? And so God's going to win that battle. <laughs> but we still do our part. It's not, we don't make the calls and the decisions. We just pray, believe, and have faith. That shouldn't keep us from praying and believing and have faith. Now, I've prayed for people in the last 30 some years and some of them have got healed instantly some of them have got healed as they went some of them have went to the doctors and they've fixed their problem and I'm going to be honest with you some of them have got sicker <laughs> but I keep praying because go ahead that comes out we should pray God's will above everything else amen I mean, that, you know. well and that's what Jesus told us right, right. thy kingdom come Right. Amen. And surrender to that when it happens. You know. <laughs> That's a good word. But he, he taught, they, you know, we call it the Lord's Prayer. It's really not the Lord's Prayer. It's our prayer. They, because the question was asked, teach us how to pray. And so Jesus said, okay, here's how you need to pray. Because in that prayer, it asks for forgiveness, right? Jesus didn't have to ask for forgiveness. This ain't his prayer. It's, it's how he told us to pray. And one of the things he said in there was, thy kingdom come. And I pray this prayer almost every day. Because I figure if Jesus said, here's how you ought to pray, I, I incorporate that into my prayer time. If Jesus said to do something, I think we ought to take it to heart. Uh, and so I, but it, because that prayer encapsulates what he wants us, our posture, right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth. And I don't, I'm not uh, stagnant when I pray it. I just bring it into my prayer journey and pray around it and use it as part of my prayer time. But it's, imp it's important. Lead us not into temptation, right? That's a good prayer to pray every day. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What if we were more consistent about praying that? Wonder if, 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 if Jesus, if, they, if we ask for something and he said, okay, here's how I want you to do it, then that means something, right? I know, we don't want to get like Pharisees and religious folks and get, get stagnant with it. I understand that. But if, if the Lord said, you guys need to be praying like this, that was the question, and he said, Pray that you don't get led into temptation. Pray that your Heavenly Father will sustain you. Pray for His will to be done in earth just like it is in heaven. I mean, those are the things Jesus said in response to that question. So that was the most important thing He could have said, right? And He gave it off to us. So that is part of the deal there is that we, uh, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. But... That is a challenge, right? I mean, it's a challenge sometimes because our will gets in the way. And we, we even see that battle take place in Jesus, right? 
what did he say? He said, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Because he saw, he, he knew what was coming. And, but then he, he came to that place of resolve, right? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And he come out and went to the cross. I mean, can you imagine staring at that? Because he's part of the Godhead, I believe Jesus knew what was going to happen to him the whole time. He, he wouldn't. I mean, he, he, he saw Nathaniel before he saw Nathaniel. <laughs> and he would stand around with people and he'd tell them what they were thinking before they ever spoke it. Now, he knew. How would you like to live 33 and a half years or at what point he developed however that works but, and know that the cross is in front of you? It would be a challenge. So he prayed through that though, right? He prayed, and sometimes we have to pray through it. It wasn't my will to send our first little girl to Hawaii. That wouldn't have been my will. That was certainly not my will. But I had, I've had to pray through that. It was an agonizing time to where God had a different plan that I thought he shouldn't have had. <laughs> Right? My flesh thought, hey, Lord, somebody's missing something here. <laughs> right? It was us, of course. But I still don't have the full resolution to that. I don't know all the, how, what all God's doing or how he's doing that. But I know I have to surrender to his will. And it's not always easy. I mean, when you see Jesus praying a prayer like that, not my will, but your will be done, then you and I are going to have to pray that. Because if the Son of the, the only begotten Son of God prayed a prayer like that, then you're going to have to pray it probably. Probably more than once. So they're getting ready to get into battle. Am, uh, Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out. Fight with Amalek tomorrow. I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him, fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy so that they took the stone and put it under him. And he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands one on one side and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. So I read this this morning because when you're studying, wherever you're studying, I like to, the, the Bible is the best commentary. Your Bible will explain itself if you'll dig far enough. Uh, the Bible is its best commentary of itself. Uh, in chapter 12 of Romans, though, I read this in our staff time earlier. Um, but I want you to hear, because this is a pretty good illustration of this. Uh, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your reasonable service. Now, if you look at these four guys that are mentioned here, Hur, Aaron, and Moses, and Joshua, all four of them 
have presented themselves to be used of God. God has a pattern and a place and a way He wants things done. Moses understands that, so he knows he's supposed to be up with his arms up. And so all these guys are, have made themselves available to God. Joshua's down in the valley leading them into battle. Moses is up on the mountain in the place in interceding, so to speak, to God because their help comes from God. And then Moses is getting weary because he's an, a mere man. And so two of his brothers come alongside of him and help sustain the situation. So you think about that. He says, uh, it's our reasonable service to present ourselves, right? So that's what Hannah did, right, with Samuel. She came and presented him to the Lord and gave him to the Lord, lent him to the Lord. So that's what we all do. We ought to make ourselves available to the Lord, whether we're in Walmart at the house of God, wherever we're at, we ought to make ourselves available. And then it says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we renew our minds with God's Word. That's how we build our faith up, renew our minds with God's Word. He says that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So I'll show you this. Most of you probably seen me do this before. The will is one. Some of you may have grown up in churches like I did where they used to teach that God had three wheels. That they, one was good, one was acceptable, and one was perfect. That's not what this says at all. <laughs> There's one will. And God's will is good. His will is acceptable. And His will is perfect. You've heard people say that probably over the years if you've been a Christian. And you, well, they're not in the perfect will of God. Well, they're not in the will of God. Because God's will is perfect. God's will is acceptable. God's will is good. Let me show you something. God is not tolerant. He's merciful. They're worlds apart. If God was tolerant, He would have never nailed His Son to a tree. God's merciful. It's a big difference. God is merciful toward us that while we were yet sinners, He loved us and let His only begotten Son die in our place, desiring that we would accept that and have a relationship with Him. Now back to this Part here, God has one will, and His will is good, His will is acceptable, and His will is perfect. If we're not in God's will, we're experiencing mercy. Not tolerance. Not something less than what God has for us. It's not like you and I can go out here and this God wants us to do this, but we say, well, we're going to do this, that ought to be good enough. That's not how God operates. He's going to keep working in our lives until we either reject Him or we go into His will. Now, let's ask Cain how that worked out for him. God had a specific way for them to sacrifice. 
we can pretty much figure it out because Adam and Eve were given animal skins. So we know that animal sacrificing started right off. A means of covering. Not a means of atonement. Not eternal atonement. And the best way I can describe to you the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament by way of the sacrifice of blood of bulls and goats that could not take away the sin, it only put it off. Now when we come to the New Testament, Paul said, the blood, precious blood of the Lamb destroys or takes away the sin. The best way I can describe that to you is the difference between a flood and a fire. I grew up in a holler, and if you grow up in a holler, there's usually a creek or a river in that same holler. And the creek I grew up on was a large creek. It would look like a river. That's how big the creek was. When it would flood, and we had some doozies in 77, it destroyed whole towns. When it would flood, whatever trash was in the flood area, you know, of course, it'd get up in people's houses and yards, and stuff would wash down the river. And you, milk jugs, Clorox, bleach jugs, basketballs, footballs, coolers, you know, you name it. Now, you may go out back of your house where the creek's at and the banks may be sandy and clean after the floods resided. But you go down that creek or that river far enough, guess what you'll find? You'll find those jugs, those balls, those coolers piled up behind a tree or behind a log on the bank out of the water just all piled up there wherever they got caught. So it just removed it. The Bible talks about it. It removes our sin, but it couldn't destroy it or do away with it. A fire does, does more than that, right? You set fire to something, and it's gone. So that's the difference between the blood of Christ, what His blood does for our sins, versus these sacrifices. Now, Cain, for whatever reason, maybe he was lazy, Maybe he didn't want to barter with Abel and get a lamb. Maybe he was uh, jealous because Abel was the keeper of the sheep or the animals and he had the apple orchard. I don't know. I'm just trying to... But whatever caused him to be rebellious and assume that God had another will, it cost him. Now, you want to know why God is after us? We know He loves us, but He wants you and I in His will. You know why He wants you and I in His will? Because it's good, it's acceptable, and it's perfect. Why wouldn't He want us in His will? And you and I don't get to hang out and do what we want to do. We're, we're here to... Find out. What did Paul say in Philippians? That we might apprehend that which we've been apprehended for. Let's go over to Philippians chapter 4. We're coming back to Romans 12 in a minute. But let's run over to Philippians chapter 4. And uh, let's look at something here. <clears throat> where Paul is, is speaking. Sometimes my pages stick together. Uh... I may be in the wrong book. Am I in the right place? Where does he talk about forgetting those things? Oh, okay. 
Let's back up to chapter 3 of Philippians. Now, Paul, uh, he, I love, I mean, this guy was sold out, right? Nobody, probably, the earth has never seen a man more sold out than Paul, except for Jesus, probably. Um, but he's talking about coming into Christ in verse 7. Let's look at verse 7. But what things were gained to me, uh, these I've counted as lost for Christ. Yes, yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ. Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, uh, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. Now, that don't stop there. Look what this, and the fellowship of His sufferings. That I may be able to identify with Christ in the power of His resurrection. We all want that. But also in the fellowship of His sufferings. Sufferings, as I preached a couple weeks ago, suffering is, helps mature us, make us stronger. And He said, uh, being conformed to His death, you know, when we're at our best is when we die, spiritually speaking, and we get out of the way, and He can live. That's when we're at our best, when He's living through us. What did Paul say? No longer I that live, but Christ in me. And he says, uh, if by any means I may attain the resurrection of the dead, not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. I've had this experience twice in my life. I had this again last week. This is the second time in my life I've had this experience. I went to a long-term care facility, what we grew up calling a rest home. <clears throat> and for the second time in my life, I met somebody who looked me in the face and said, God wants me here. even though their family wanted to take them home. They said, no, this is where God wants me. I'm leading people to Christ here. Now, if you've ever been in a long-term care facility, and I have no judgment for that, everybody's situation is different. Sometimes people cannot, I understand. I know families that want to keep them home, they just can't. I understand, there's all kinds, so I don't have, I, I'm not, I don't even want to go there. I just, everybody's situation is different, we've got to pray. But there's a lot of folks in those places that are bitter and angry. They feel like they're stuck, you know, and they just, and I, I, I can empathize with that. I don't, you know, there's just so many variables in a situation like that, right? And uh, I know people that, on the other side of that, that are so broken because they couldn't take care of somebody and they, it bothers them so bad, right? I mean, and everybody's situation is different, so... But what, how refreshing is it to walk into one of those places where a lot of people are so disgruntled and frustrated with life that they've wound up there? I understand. I, I, I feel that. But to hear somebody say, my family wants me to come home, but I, I, God's got me here. This is where he's put me at this season in my life. I, I was almost broken again last week to, to hear that and to think, that 
we still get upset with God if the weather don't go our way. <laughs> now, well, we probably don't. I, I'm, I'm, I am past that. That's his business. You know, you know, I say that that's the one place that God lets us know who's in charge, right? The weather, because we can't do a thing about it, right? So what a beautiful place to accept your lot and to apprehend what you've been apprehended for. And your life's going to come in seasons, right? And you've got to embrace those seasons, God. Let, let me show you something else here. Uh, I'm just trying to follow the Holy Spirit here because he's here on Thursdays just like he is on Sundays, right? Now, the first calling for all of us, and you're probably going to hear some extensive preaching and teaching on this soon, is to know him, right? When Paul got called to preach, probably the greatest preacher that ever walked outside of Jesus, what did he do? He didn't go get a tent. He didn't go get his ministry license. He didn't go to seminary. He went to the desert to hang out with God for three years. That's the best training he could ever do. And he spent time with God. If you don't spend time with God, you're not qualified to preach. And as I've said this before, Moses had to come down from being with God to speak to the people. We got too many guys trying to climb up into the pulpit instead of coming down into it where they've been with God to come down and be with the people. They get on the internet or whatever and try to get smart, whatever that means, and try to have the most clever thing to say. Sometimes the clever thing's not the best thing. Sometimes Jesus is so real. He said, if your foot offends you, cut it off. I mean, that's real, isn't it? If your hand offends you, right? So our calling, our first, every one of us, our first calling is to know Him. Now here's what, here's what you've got to identify. This is why these passages are important. He says, Brother, I don't count this myself to apprehend it, but one thing I forget those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal uh, for prize and upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us as many as mature have this mind. If any think otherwise, God will reveal to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. So he's talking about apprehending. He's talking about what God has called him into, right? Uh, not that I've already attained, but he's moving on, that we may apprehend what God has for us. So your calling and my calling first for every one of us is to know him. The second thing that happens is God starts handing off tasks. Now, what you may find in your life is your task can change in different seasons. This call will remain to know Him. That will always be what should be first in our life, the call to know Him. The task will come and go and change. Just like the last lady I met who said, this is my season to be here, this task. This is what God's asked me to do. It's what he's asked of me. So you and I got to identify that, right? There'll be a day where I can't chase a congregation, right? I'll get older and not have the same level of energy. I won't be able to pastor someday, right? 
I got a new lease on life, so that, that's way down the road probably. But there'll be a day where I, <clears throat> uh, if I'm going to be, if it's going to be beneficial to the congregation and to me, there'll be a day where I'll have to change task. And, and I, I can see what that could kind of look like with the way God's unfolded my life sometime. Uh, but a lot, of, a lot of pastors, they're like, preachers sometimes are like these athletes. You know, they stay too long. I'm not talking about how God moves people. I'm talking about they're older now. They don't really have the ability to care for a congregation like they once did. And they should move on and let somebody else step into that moment. Right? Because God will change our task. And if we don't recognize that, we'll get stuck in the last place where we're at. And then we'll start getting miserable. If you, and I tell people this all the time when I counsel with them. If you don't recognize your season, if you miss your season, you'll miss most of what God's trying to do. You, have you ever seen that guy or gal? <clears throat> maybe, maybe it's more guys than gals. You ever seen that guy who's in his 50s who's still trying to act like he's 18? I just want to... Go home and be a grandpa! And lean on your staff like you're supposed to, you know, instead of out here trying to play basketball with 18-year-olds. Uh, so whatever that means, you just got to recognize your task as God brings them to you. And some may last longer than others. My mother's had to switch her task this season because she's been in a wheelchair for 13 years. Well, she used to go visit widows and go visit underprivileged people and, and took her car. She can't drive anymore. So now she writes letters and gets words from the Lord and hands them off and has people come and see her and has tea with them or whatever she can do. She's had, her task has changed and the way she's gone about ministering to others has changed. Because it's a different season in her life. We, you, can, you know we've certainly prayed for her to get out of that wheelchair, right? So far, God hasn't done that. So instead of being bitter and thinking, well, I've lost my ability to minister, she's changed how she does things. So you and I may have life circumstances, or it may just be a new season in our lives where the task shifts on us, right? The call will remain to know Him. And what you'll find out, if you knew, I'm sure many of you have already found this out, that when that task change in you, not only is it beneficial to wherever God's seen you, but you see new things. God reveals himself to you and I in different ways when we go into different seasons. So, when you watch Abraham, Abram, as he starts off as Abram, gets converted to Abraham, right? When you watch him go through the process of what God takes him through, Abraham, the deeper his revelation of God, and he gets that, right? Jehovah Jireh. God just keeps revealing himself. Dif these different seasons in Abraham's life, God keeps revealing himself, and it causes Abraham just to grow and learn of God. And the deeper his revelation of God, the deeper his worship. And that's what God's trying to do in all of us. You ain't going to sing the first line and the second line your whole life in that hymnal, are you? 
right? You're going to grow. You're going to understand what God's doing in a different facet. Your life and my life is like a diamond. So God just keeps giving those different facets to us. And when he takes us into a new task, it's not only for the people that we think we're going to help, but it's also to see a new facet of who God is to us. So as we go, we grow. Now back in Romans 12, he says something here, and I'm, I'm going to try to take you back to Exodus here and illustrate what I'm trying to say here. He says, For I say through the grace of God given to me, in verse 3, to everyone who is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So all four of these guys here with Moses, they're all chipping in, right? They're all doing their thing, being a part of what God's doing. Nobody's bigger, little, smaller, more important. Everybody's just doing their thing. You know, Joshua's down there in the battlefield and Moses is up on the mountain. He's her and Aaron's up there. Look what it says. But to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith for as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And then Paul gives more definition of that when he talks about the ear and the eye and all that stuff. If you think about the body parts in the natural, like your big toes, what gives you balance? Right? So everything... If the nose is upset that he's not the eye, you know, just so much that goes on here. And I think this is illustrated, if I can take you back to Exodus 17, where these four guys are brought to our attention. And as long as everybody was working together and they were all caring for one another and nobody cared who got the credit except for God, right? That's how the church has to operate. We, don't, we shouldn't care who gets the credit. We just got to make sure God gets all the credit. Right? We don't... I had a little fun with this and joked about seats, but we don't put people's names on seats around here. <laughs> you know, God's going to get all the credit for whatever goes on around here. What we need you to do is promote Jesus Christ. He's the way, the truth, and the life. There, there's no life outside of Him. This building's going to burn to the ground when the Lord comes back someday. It's all going to be gone. The true life is in Jesus Christ. And, and when you find a group of people, and I believe we're there, I believe we found a group of people that don't care who gets the credit, they don't care who's holding the arms up, don't care whose arms are being held up, don't care that the guy in the battlefield's probably, everybody's going to be singing his praises when he comes home. But the guy in the battlefield was losing if the guys on the mountain wasn't doing what they were supposed to do. That's what God was honoring. That's how he worked all this through. So if you get a group of people who don't care who gets the credit, and make sure really all the glory goes to God, then this is how things can work. So they're out there on the mountain. Everybody's doing their part. And, and, and as, so Joshua says in verse 13, defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial uh, to the, in the book of the re, in recounting our hearing, Joshua and I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven and Moses built an altar and called the name of the Lord is my banner. Right? There's a revelation. Right? What happened that day? They all saw a sight of God they hadn't seen before. Because God goes on to say, Moses built this altar. The Lord said, because the Lord has sworn the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. God's going to take care of them. 
He's going to take care of them. Think about the, think about the three Hebrew boys. They probably, when they first went in the fire, they were probably like, what just happened? <laughs> but then they saw the other one walking in the fire. When they came out, they didn't smell like smoke. Only the things that had them bound were gone, right? That's what God does in, in our suffering. He takes us in a situation. Undo, he undoes, uh, takes us from the things that have us bound and sends us out. No hair was singed. They didn't even smell like smoke. What do you think that done for those guys' faith? What about the guys whom Jesus sent into the storm? He, he, knew, he knew the weather, right? He knew things before they happened. So he said, you guys get in the boat. I'll meet you on the other side. Sends them straight into a storm. But guess what happened to them? <clears throat> they saw him walking on the water that night. <clears throat> what do you think that did for their faith? If you and I run <clears throat> from, the op from things that God has set up for us, even though they look bad at times, then we're going to miss something He wants us to see. All these seasons, all these trials, all these situations showed these people a different facet of the Lord. And it helped their faith to grow. It boosted their faith. And it boosted their trust so that most of these people, a lot of them died and a lot of them were martyrs because they were sold out by the time they got to there. It says in Jethro, now there's, he's from Kentucky with a name like that, or West Virginia one, we don't know for sure. And Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, and the Lord had brought, how the, that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back with her two sons, of whom the name was, one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. And then the name of the other was Eliezer, for he said, the, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness and said, I'm not keeping them anymore. They belong to you, and I'm tired of them not paying rent. I threw that in there. <laughs> it says, Moses' father-in-law came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped in the mountain of God. Now he had said to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, bowed down, kissed him, and they asked each other about their well-being, and they went into the tent. See, Moses honored him. Now, this Jethro guy just kind of shows up out of nowhere, and we don't hear much about it. Moses is the big man, but he still honored Jethro because of his position. If I step into your home, I come under your authority. That's how it works. If you come into my home, you come under my authority. And God tells us to honor that, right? But if I come into your home and you ask me to take my shoes off or whatever, then I, I'm, I honor that, right? Uh, I'm under your authority. If you say sit here, sit there, whatever, I'm under your authority. And so Moses is honoring. He's recognizing him, his faith. He says... Uh, then Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, and as they asked, and Moses told his father-in-law all the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them on the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. So, as I said, I think it was Sunday, I've been preaching a little bit on, you're going to face adversity. You're going to face opposition. We live in a world where the, Satan is the god of this world system. 
So you and I don't just get the waltz right through here. We're going to face it. And they faced it too, but God delivered them. Then Jeth, go ahead. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That, the world don't want to hear the truth any longer. That's for sure. Then Jethro rejoiced for all the good which the Lord had done for Israel, whom he, he delivered the hand out of the delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. So, as these people faced their oppositions, God kept coming through for them, which is not only, as you point out, a testimony to us, but it's also a testimony to those who don't believe. That's what happened to the Egyptians. They. They, the Bible says many of them believed because they saw how God kept coming through for them. And so that's our testimony. That's how God shows up. And then he said, uh, so they were, Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord, in verse 10, who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, out of the hand of Pharaoh, who has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods. You hear that? Moses, standing for the true God, is starting to impact others. And not only Moses, but other people. So these people are pagan. They grew up around false gods. And so now God has shown up in such a way that it's convincing them that He's the true God. For in the very thing in which they behaved proudly, He was above them. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and other sacrifices to offer to God. He switched religions. That's a bad way to say it, but he, he left a false religion and came to the true God. That's the kind of impact we want our witness to have. So we welcome God's presence with us, right? We welcome that light. We welcome that because that's, that's, that's part of our testimony. Our testimony is not how good we are, but our testimony is, is when people see what God's doing in our lives. When He takes the foolish things to confound the wise. When people know my past, your past, and know what God's brought us through or, or brought us out of. That's a testimony, and that's going spreading. And so it was on the next day that Moses set to judge the people, and the people stood before Moses from morning until evening. So when Moses' father-in-law saw that he did, all that he did for the people, he said, What is this thing that you are doing for the people? Why do, you, uh, why do you alone see it? And all the people stand before you from morning until evening. And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have difficulty, they come to me, and I judge between one and another, and I make known the statutes of God and His laws. So Moses' father-in-law said to him, The thing that you do is not good. Both you and these people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out, for this thing is too much for you. You are not able to perform it by yourself. Listen now to my voice. I will give you counsel, and God will be with you. Stand before God for the people. So that, you may bring the diffi- uh, so that you may bring the difficulties of God. And you will teach them the statutes and the, uh, and the laws and show them the way in which they must walk and work they must do. Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens, and let them judge the people at all times, then it will be at the every greater matter they may bring to you, but every small matter they themselves shall judge. 
so it will be easier for you, for they will bear the burden with you if you do this thing, and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure, and all these people will also go to their place in peace. So Moses heeded the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said, and Moses chose able men out of Israel, made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, rulers of ten, so that they judged the people at all times. And the hard cases they brought to Moses, uh, but they judged every small case themselves. Then Moses let the father-in-law depart, and he went his way to his own land. Good advice. Good advice that he'd given him. Now let, me, let me share a couple of things with you before we quit. In the New Testament, the veil was rent, right? By God himself. So, if you have a prayer life, and if you'll stay in the Word faithfully to those two things, most of your situations will, you'll get your answers through that. God wants a personal relationship with each one of us. But sometimes we need somebody to hold our arms up, come along beside of us. Sometimes we need somebody to give us perspective because it, sometimes it's overwhelming. But a lot of situations can be resolved because that veil's been rent and you, have, you and I have direct access to God. And so if you really have a prayer life and you really spend time in God's Word, you'll resolve most of your issues through those two things. God will speak to you. He will give you clear direction. He'll encourage you. He'll strengthen you. So think about that. And then there's also going to be those times, and I like to tell people this because a lot of times when I sit across from people, what's good for them is to hear themselves talk. <laughs> it hits me and bounces out a lot. And, and that's good for all of us. Sometimes we just need to hear what's coming out of us. And to hear us, I, I can't tell you how many times I've had people say, and they say, oh, I get it now. Just talking to you, I see. So that's, that's always a good thing. But if, you, if you'll spend time with God and spend time in prayer, most of our issues can be resolved right there because he's a personal, right? He, he wants a personal relationship with you and I. But in those times that they can't be, that's why we have brothers and sisters. That's why you have a pastor. That's why you have people in your life that God's put in your life so that a lot of times, it's, you're not getting necessarily a great revelation from somebody. A lot of times you're hearing yourself talk and you're hearing what's coming out of your mouth and it just helps to hear that. Because if you don't voice it, you keep it internalized a lot of times. But I, that's why I pray out loud. I pray out loud a lot. Sometimes I pray out real loud. <laughs> but God, God he, he, He's made a way for us to have direct access to Him. It's the greatest thing going. And so take advantage of that. And then in those times where we need each other, that's why we have each other. But take advantage of that prayer. Take advantage of that. It, it's it's going to be hard to move forward. It's going to be impossible to move forward if you don't do that. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your love and mercy. Thank you for your long suffering. All we have to do is look in the mirror. Lord, we need each other. I mean, we see that clearly here in the Scripture. We need people to hold our arms up. We need people to, to do their task. We need to have, we're thankful for the access that we have directly with you. 
It gives us comfort and strength. And we're thankful for all the brothers and sisters you've put in our lives because we need each other. And Lord, may we be a faithful brother and sister. And may we be a faithful witness like Moses was so that others can come to know you in Jesus' name. Amen.